Once in a while, people ask me, do you get nervous when you speak? And the truth is, I always get a little bit nervous. You may get nervous when I speak, too. But I still think back to my first uh, freshman speech class and just feeling that being totally petrified about standing up and, and saying something. Well, in time, it's like someone said, you get butterflies in your stomach, but after a while, they, they tend to fly in formation, so you kind of control the, control the fear. Probably last Sunday or Easter Sunday, I get more nervous than any other Sunday. And uh, Diane was asking me, are you seemed a little bit uh, getting started there? I said, I, I'm really nervous. And I think, why is it on Easter Sunday? Because the crowd is, you know, we've pretty much filled this uh, room, but it's not that big. But I think the, the truths of eternal life, the message of Easter is, is so incredible. It is so profound. It is so uh, life-changing. And it is so simple. And... One of the things I fear is messing it up <laughs> because, you know, when God gives us this wonderful truth and then he allows some of us to serve as spokespeople, you don't want to mess up that glorious message. The fact that Jesus Christ came into this world, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again the third day, and that he offers to us the gift of eternal life. That's very simple, but it is deep, it is profound, it is powerful, it is life-changing. And so many of you participated last week in, in uh, that day and helping with us, and, and I was going to share with you that we know of at least 10 people uh, last week who put their faith and trust in Jesus. We, at the end of our service, we allowed people to, I think we can clap, <laughs> um, that they came to the point to see that the we had uh, prayer we put up on on the screen to just give you an idea of what it takes to have faith to put uh, belief in Jesus for eternal life, which to me is the most important thing um, we'd ever want to say. In fact, I I could be content just preaching that message the rest of my life every day to tell people. Uh, and you hear the word gospel means literally good news. It's a good news that no matter how bad things are, that we have so much to thank the Lord for because of the gift of eternal life. Now, eternal life is in the future. Uh, that's, you, you're, you're hoping that probably sometime from today. But there is also a part of this gospel that affects the, the now, the present, the present trouble. We've entitled this message, Overcoming trouble, particularly your trouble. If I were to ask you the question, uh, what is your trouble? You probably have something that might come to mind that you'd fill in the blank that is bothering you, giving you difficulty, challenging for you that you're facing right now that is really, really hard to work through. And what I would like to share this morning is how the good news of the gospel not only gives you the assurance and the peace of having eternal life in heaven with God forever, that same gospel gives you the ability to overcome your trouble with joy. Now, that may seem like a stretch <laughs> to have joy in the midst of your trouble, but the Apostle Paul at one time was speaking to another group of believers, and he said, we're troubled on every side. 
So if I were to ask you, what trouble do we have everywhere we turn? We've got trouble, <clears throat> excuse me, in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, our families, at work, in our neighborhoods, in our society. Everywhere we go, this happens. And sometimes we just get incredibly discouraged with it. You wonder, how is it possible just to keep your head up, much less be able to have joy in this process? Now, in the Scripture, we find that, and Jesus was, was a master at this, of, of painting pictures, of giving illustrations, of making an analogy, of helping you to understand by something he's showing you. And he talks about this life, this from now until we're with him in heaven, as being a journey. He uses the illustration of being a pilgrimage. He makes reference to, uh, and Paul does this, as a boxing match. Uh, hitting and being hit as a wrestling match, as a warfare. talks about soldiering through. And he also talks about it as a race, as a race that's been marked out. And that's the illustration that we're going to look at here this morning in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and the first three verses. And so you get this, when I'm, I'm going to read these verses, and you get this imagery this picture that the writer is trying to draw of what this life is like and how we work through our trouble. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Isn't that a great statement, that last part, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart? Some translations say it this way, so that you will not give up. And I thought, he really hit a nerve on that. Because there are times when we, in our trouble, want to give up. Throw in the towel. We lose heart. And it's because of our trouble. You know, I was thinking this last week on, on Thursday afternoon, listening to the news about the accident on I-70 uh, down by the mall. And at first I'm thinking, this, wow, how could something like that happen? And, you know, here we are, Denver's on the national news. This, uh, I think, four, one semi out of control, four other semi, semis, 27 total vehicles, at least four dead, many people, their lives were changed forever. I thought, I've, I've run that stretch so many times on that road. Uh, I don't do that every day, but been down there many, many times. And, and you know, it, it's a little closer to home. You know, last Sunday we were talking about the bombings that were taking place in Sri Lanka and how that just altered hundreds of people's lives. 
by death and injury and the change. But the closer your trouble gets to home, the more you feel it. And this was fairly close to home. Columbine was close to home. But your trouble is particularly difficult for you. And so how is it that Jesus wants to, in his giving of life, in the message of this gospel, not only give you eternal life in heaven with him forever, which is the greatest thing in all of life, but also give you the ability to live a life of joy in the midst of your trouble. And I'd like to examine this passage and present to you as a proposition that in face of your trouble, the challenge is run your race with joy and do not give up. Let me say that again. In the face of your trouble, your trouble, run your race with joy and do not give up. Why? First, because of what Jesus says to you. What Jesus says to you. What does Jesus say? Well, this is, this is interesting. Because the words that God speaks to us through His Son, through His Word, have power to, to give us what we need. So, I think we'll get this up here uh, right. Okay. See, he's not saying following this outline. Because of what Jesus says to you. In his word, he gives you everything you need to live this Christian life. You know, through much of the world's history, Bibles were chained to pulpits in the front of churches. And they were written in another language that people couldn't read. And so they would just trust someone else to tell them what God was saying. But this book, I liken it to a letter. It's really, even though there, there are a number of books and their chapters and verses all broken up, it is really one unfolding story of God's rescue of us. And he gives us his words through his son. Jesus claimed to be the word, the living word that he's given to us and has communicated his word to us that we can read it and hold it. We, we live in a day that's unprecedented as far as our ability to be able to have a copy of the Scriptures. You can pick up your phone and you can read the Bible in any translation, any Bible program, any study, uh, look up notes more than ever before where sometimes people would have just little pages that they would hold on to and treasure of the words of God. But the significance of this word is this. His word is truth. God's word is truth. And truth is reality. Wouldn't we all like a sense of reality? You may tell people you need a sense of reality. <laughs> but reality is truth. And we struggle sometimes to, to what is true? What is right? Well, God's word claims to be true. Jesus said, I am truth. Your word is truth. Now, will he back it up? He claims it to be true, but it also proves to be true. Through the course of time, in fact, when he, when he mentions this at the beginning, uh, 
the, the facts. He said, we are, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And this picture is, as you can already imagine, a stadium. It's like the, uh, the, the Roman Colosseum. It is uh, people just surrounded. This is the picture where you get the imagery of all these thousands of people. And then you have in the middle a place of competition, a field. And there is a, a racetrack that is marked out. It's measured out. And this cloud of witnesses, who they are, are all of the believers in Jesus that have gone on before us that are no longer here. How many of you know people that are in heaven today? <laughs> the longer you live, the more you know that are on that side. In fact, it gets to the point where you know a whole lot more up there than you do down here. And so what he's trying to, to get this imagery is as you're, you're running this race, this life, remember all of those who around you have gone before and are there cheering you on. That's the idea. You go back to Hebrews chapter 11, which is the, uh, the chapter right before this passage, and the writer gives a whole list of people who proved God to be true. In other words, they, they proved the truth of God. All of these claims that he has made about his word being truth and trust it because the message is faith, believe what he said, believe what he said, believe what he said. Now, I'm saying that this is true. All the testimonies of these people around you will tell you it is true. And that gives us encouragement. There's stories listed all the way through of people who have demonstrated to us that God's Word is true. When I think of His Word, it's true. It is, it's, like, it's like an anchor in my life. That When trouble comes, being able to stand on truth is like just it stabilizes my life. Because there's so many things that will run through my mind of how I feel in these circumstances. You start to look around, and truth stabilizes your life. Truth is also like a compass guiding and directing you. God's Word is used to, to show you where to go. It's not so much a, a map that you fold out and say, well, I'm going to go here. It's like a compass. And you keep on finding your bearings through life, knowing what steps to take. His, also, his word is also described as, as, as life-giving. It gives us strength, like the sun gives strength to all of God's creation. Why is this important to you? Well, and what he's saying is, if you get this picture in your mind, you have a home field advantage. You're in the arena. You're surrounded by those reminders of people. And this is, this is not necessarily that they're actually... Everybody's up there watching us right now. I don't think that that might get a little depressing if you're in heaven, always watching what's going on. But what he's saying is, let their faces remind you. I've, I've thought of that this morning. I got up this morning, and, I'm, and I'm, I thought of my dad. I thought of my father. I do that a lot. I think of people that are no longer here. And, you know, it, it encourages me. It challenges me. You know, you, you miss them too. But I know missing them will be for a short period of time. But the, the reminder of their faithfulness, the reminder that they trusted God and God proved himself true with them, 
encourages me on. I love what he says here about your race. Because your race, it's marked out, is marked out by God. And your race and your trouble will be different than mine. It's not the same. Some of us are battling things that no one else in this room battles. And you can tend to feel very much alone. But God understands what that is because he's marked that out for you. And I think that when I, when I stop to consider that, that God has marked out a path for my life that's part of his ongoing plan. And he will give me everything that I need to be able to run that race. And not only to run it with just endurance, but to run it with joy. Sometimes I think, well, I'm just going to have to suck this up and do this. But he, he mentions, and Jesus says, that he faced his with joy. And we talk about a race. What kind of race is it? Most of the races I liked as a kid were, I'll race you from here to there. I like that, from here to there. <laughs> I don't really enjoy. I remember one time having a conversation. My dad says, well, if you're not that fast, then maybe you're built for distance. And I, and I tried that once. I, no, that's not, <laughs> that's, I don't think I like that either. Um, I like the shorter races. How many of you are running in, in the uh, Boulder Boulder here? We've got, we got quite a few that are going to be running in the Boulder Boulder. And uh, that's coming up. That's, now, I know it's not a long race, but for some of us in here, that would be a long race. A marathon. This is, this is probably more likely the kind of race that the writer's talking about. The race we're running is like a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's, it's, a, it's a race that you run for a long time. And, you know, in my thought, I've never been tempted to do a marathon. We have some here I know that do marathons, have done marathons, and will probably do them again. And uh, I, I was watching, kind of researching a little bit on marathons, and they had this um, uh, giant treadmill that was kind of bouncy, and the kids would have fun on this. And, and so what they did is they, it, it, it was a real bouncy, big treadmill, and at the, on the wall they had a bunch of pads for people. And so they sped this up to go at the pace that the guy, he ran it in what, two, two, minute, two hours and two minutes or something like that, the world record for... Uh, 26.2 miles, which is insane. And so they let people get on that treadmill and run at that pace. <laughs> and it, it was pretty funny. There were a few people that were runners, and they got on there, and they, they were just I mean, running really fast. I think, you can't run that fast for two hours. But most of them were, were probably people like me. They were just kind of going like this, and also boom, boom. <laughs> and uh, so I watched that for a while. It was kind of fun watching someone else go boom, boom. And could not keep up that pace. But can you imagine going for two hours, and they said that that's half the time that most runners will run it. And, of course, probably average people would take much longer than that. But I was reading this, eight stages of a marathon. Mile one, excitement. This is going to be awesome. Can you imagine... You know, the gun is fired, everybody's taken off in the marathon, everybody's dressed up, everybody, fan, people are there. Mile five uh, is denial. <laughs> because I'm really doing well, and yet your body's saying, I'm not feeling too good. <laughs> Mile 11, shock. 
Wow, I'm not even halfway. Mile 16, isolation. Where is everyone? (laughs) Mile 19, despair. I'm going to die. Mile 22, the wall. You've heard about that, the wall. I can't do this anymore. I'm on the verge of giving up. Mile 23, we're getting close. Affirmation, I can do this. And mile (laughs) 26.2, elation, it is done. Now, some of you have gone through that experience, all of those emotions. And I would say this, that running the Christian life will expose you to every emotion you have. The highs and the lows, the exhilaration. And so what this passage is saying is that your life here on earth is like running this race. The cloud of witnesses watching to cheer you on, the example of their lives to be able to to encourage you. And in your trouble at this time, the same Christ, the same life, the same resource is there for you. What is God doing in all of it? Now, it makes sense that if God loved us, he would, he, he, I may say making sense, but it, he would send his son to die on the cross to offer us to eternal life. Well, why don't we just go now? Why don't we just go now? Uh, why is it that we have to run this race so long while we're here on earth? And I think I've written down six things I, I can see God doing. First, He's doing more than we can see. He's doing more than we can see. Typically, I hate to say this, but my life revolves around me. I see everything in the context of my life. And you're that way too. I mean, I'm the kind of center of my universe. Whatever whatever map I draw, I'm in the middle of that map. <laughs> and God's doing so much more than just working with me. Now, he's not limited with just a few people. He sees everything. But he's doing so much more than I can see. Secondly, he's doing beyond what I can see. He's not just concerned about today and my trouble, because that's what I see, is I see my trouble. He sees unfolding all of the developments that will come from now into eternity. And he sees that in perspective, a perspective that I don't have, except to trust that he's doing that. And so, number three, he's increasing my dependence and intimacy with him. This is one thing that you will recognize that when God made you, when God created you, why did he create you? He created you because he wants a relationship with you. He didn't want you just to go be a religious person, go to church and be good, don't bother me. God created you to have personal, meaningful, intimate relationship with Him. That's that's why He made you. And your trouble will move you in that direction. When things are going really well, we tend to just kind of, I got it from here. And then when God begins to, to allow these things into our lives, He teaches us how to talk to Him, how to pray, 
how to study His Word, how to get answers, how to seek His face. So God in His goodness creates that tension in your life, allows that trouble to keep that relationship what it needs to be. That's probably more important than anything else that we'll ever see. Number four, He's maturing you. I'm already mature. <laughs> I already know those things. I just How about if I just read the book? That's what I've, I've come my, my argument to God. Lord, I just read, I'd like to read the book and learn all about it, but not go through it. But you don't really learn things. You don't really learn them until you go through it. And you cannot make a muscle stronger without having some resistance. You cannot develop and mature without some kind of testing. And so what, what God is wanting for every single person here to grow, to grow from where you are spiritually to where you need to be. And I can tell you this, that none of us are at a place where we should coast. Say, you know what? I, I think I know all I need to know. You never get to that place. I used to think that, you know, that I, I probably spend the early part of my life learning all these things, and I can just kind of enjoy using it. And yet God is still working, still moving me to greater dependence, maturing my life, developing my life. And that's what he's doing through this trouble, this present trouble. It's like I remember hearing one time a, a woman was saying to uh, another woman in, in, in a church lobby, she said, I don't need this. <laughs> I don't need this. You ever feel like that? <laughs> and, uh, and the other woman said, well, evidently you do. <laughs> Well, that's probably, you know, maybe a little bit discouraging, but God knows what we need, and he's bringing us to maturity. Number five, God is giving you gospel opportunities. God is giving, in other words, God is giving you, in your trouble, good news opportunities with other people. All of us know that when you've been through something, you can help someone that's going through something similar. Now, if, uh, if someone comes to me that's gone through something, I have no clue what that's like. And I just say, well, let me give you a verse for that. And I turn to Proverbs. You know what the, the Bible says in Proverbs? Here's what you need to do. But if you know I've walked through the same valley, I've been there, I've known that, I've felt that, I've endured that, I've cried over that, and you know that I understand, that opens up an incredible opportunity to help someone. Now, and while you're helping them with their physical, earthly, temporary problem, you may also be able to help them with the, their eternal need, and that's Jesus. And I believe this, that God kind of gives us specialties. <laughs> You know, doctors have specialties. They just—they know a lot about this one area. God will give you a specialty to be able to help people, to give them good news, to give them hope, to give them encouragement, to be one of those people that kind of a living person in the stands, a living one who has been there, done that, experienced that, found these things to be true. So he gives you gospel opportunities and then finally, number six, he allows his trouble to get us to anticipate heaven. And I thought, you know, we, 
we get so discouraged because we keep looking down. We keep looking down like this is it. Paul said, you know, if this is it, we're, we're miser- most miserable people on earth. If this is just it. And part of what God wants for you is to keep an eternal perspective. Keep looking beyond the present challenge, the present trouble. So you can run your race with joy and not give up because of what Jesus says to you in his word. Second, you can run your race with joy and not give up because of what Jesus demonstrates to you. Here I'm going to focus a little bit on what Jesus has said. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that that before him he endured the cross and scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. In other words, ponder, consider, think about him. And how he endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and faint in your mind. So Jesus not only tells you what to do through his word, he shows you what to do in his life. This is what he did. He pioneered our faith. He created it. He perfected it. Remember last week we talked about the the, the secret to Christianity is not do, it's done. The word is not do, it's done. You don't go do, 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 and I'll get to heaven. No, it's done. And because it's done, we believe by faith we go to heaven. He endured trouble. He suffered. He was rejected. He was crucified. But he kept his joy say what what's that all about it says it says here that he he just uh rejected or despised that shame and he had joy how can you be on the cross and have joy it says the joy that was set before him so we fix our eyes on jesus the example who had joy that, that really seems to be such a contradiction, doesn't it? How can someone be so falsely accused, mistreated, hanging on a cross, dying on a cross, spat on, all of his disciples are scattered, and he's dying up there, and it says the joy that was set before him. And you think about this. The joy was he was, he was finishing what he came to do. He came to die for our sins and the joy was he pleased the father by doing what the father had him to do there's joy and that he finished his task by he's going to die and he said it's finished and the joy was that for all of those he loved he was now going to be able to offer the gift of eternal life you see that's seen beyond that's seen beyond the present struggle it is finished. For those of you that have the version app, verse of the day this morning, it was John 16, verse 33. It says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. <laughs> but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. 
What he has done, he has told you in his word. He has showed you in his life. And thirdly, it's because of what Jesus does for you. He helps you. So he tells you, he shows you, and he helps you. Philippians 3.10, Paul said, I want to know Christ. This means by experience, not by an intellectual knowledge. That word is a different Greek word, oida. The word gnosko means to know by experience. I want to know Christ, not by just intellectual assent or intellectual knowledge. I want to know Christ by experience. The participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is his desire. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Have you received Christ as your personal Savior? The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So, In me, when I receive Christ as my personal Savior, He lives in me, then He not only tells me what to do, shows me what to do, He gives me the ability to do that with joy. To go through my trouble with joy. So what is your trouble? What is your trouble? Jesus will help you to overcome that. I'd like to read just as we close this morning from uh, a translation. This is what we call a paraphrase. Typically when I study my Bible, I read a a translation that's more literal. But there's also a paraphrase that Eugene Peterson wrote. It's thought for thought and idea for idea. Now, before we get too critical about that, Eugene Peterson was a, a master at culture and language, linguistics, Hebrew and Greek, and and he put a paraphrase together called The Message. Have you heard of The Message before? And I typically will read some of that when I'm looking to get senses of things. But uh, So it's a helpful tool to have aside your Bible. And, and this, is, this is how he translates this, uh, or paraphrases Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. He says... Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on to it, on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished his race. this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. (laughs) Isn't that good? 
I thought, the reason we don't give up in our trouble, the reason we, it's not just surviving and not giving up, the reason we carry joy in and through our trouble is because of what Jesus has done for us. So the takeaway, uh, three words that I'll, I'll leave you with concerning your trouble. You can overcome with joy to run your race in three ways. One, by listening to Jesus. You listen to him. He's speaking to you. He speaks to you through his word. This is personal. This is for you. That's why you're always going to hear from me, get in the word, get in the word, and, you, and let me help you study the word so you really find that connection through prayer. God's speaking to you through prayer, through his Holy Spirit. Listen to his truth. His truth will set you free. Secondly, learn from Jesus. Learn from his example. Look at his life. Watch what he did. Look at the example that he has put before you out of his own life. And finally, lean on Jesus. Because you can't get through this life without leaning on him. You need his help. You need his strength. You need what he has. This, to me, is the life we're in now. Eternal life, wonderful. But in this present trouble, we run this race with joy looking to Jesus. Let's bow together as we pray. Heavenly Father, we are so incredibly grateful for your word because it gives us what we need each day. And in our present trouble, you know the trouble we faced, each one, it's different. And yet, you're there for us. And you tell us what we need. And you show us what to do. And I pray that you would deepen our understanding of that privilege every day. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.